open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, and let's go to what is probably the second most famous psalm next to Psalm 23, and that would be Psalm 91. And let's go to Psalm 91. And how many appreciates the band? Chris Hardy, our music director, Brad, Sean, all these guys. Psalm 91. And I've wrestled, I've prayed, I've fought and struggled with this all week. And uh, I'll share my heart with you, and I just, I just pray it's a blessing. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of it. I don't know if we have it all up here, but I'm just going to read the rest of it. All right. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, Therefore, I will deliver him, and I will set him on high, because he's known my name. And he shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble, and will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Awesome. So this, this is, you know, the Psalms. Let me, just, let me lay some groundwork here so you all get your head screwed on right and listen with me, okay? The Psalms often include a petition, which is a prayer, asking for something. They often include a lament, where the psalmist is complaining about something. Then they often include a confidence statement, where the psalmist is confident that something that God is going to do this, and this is the way it's going to go. And then finally, they often include a praise, which is, Lord, we praise you for what you're doing or what you're going to do. Okay? This psalm, I don't see containing any of that except pure confidence. It's a statement of confidence from the get-go all the way to the end. From the very first line to the end. Okay, we don't know who the author is. We're not told. It's, it's anonymous. The psalm before it, Psalm 90 says it was written by Moses. So some scholars have, have believed that Psalm 91 was written by Moses, but we're not told that. Others have assumed it was written by David, but we're also not told that. It's just anonymous, and it's left that way. But a few other pieces and parts of it are very interesting. 
First of all, it starts out as a person speaking. And he declares his confidence in God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But then when we get to verse 3, it's like someone is speaking to a person. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and he'll cover you with his feathers. Okay, And then you get to the end, and it gets to the first person, as if God is speaking. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. And I will be with him, and I will show him long life and satisfy him. So what scholars are saying they think this is, is it's a royal psalm. And a royal psalm was a psalm that was, that was said by the king in the temple courts, or at the tabernacle maybe by David himself, where he would declare his confidence in God, and then maybe a priest or a prophet would then speak. So what it seems like is happening is the first two verses are the king speaking. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then in verse 3, the priest or prophet speaks to the king. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And then in the last three verses, it's maybe the prophet or the priest speaking prophetically in first person, as God is speaking. Because he set his love upon me, I will deliver him, I will set him on high, he shall call upon me, I shall answer. Isn't that freaky? So you have the king at first, arguably speaking. Secondly, the priest or prophet speaking back to the king. And then a prophetic word at the end of what God will do. Can somebody say amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God is good. And pastor's going to get a Kleenex. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I wrestled with this, you know, in this, in this way. This psalm is so bold and so audacious. And the promises are so strong. I'm like, Lord, do we get this in real life? I, I wrestled with it. Does no plague ever come nigh our dwelling? Do we never get beat up? So, here's my take on it. Historically, I, I do think the scholars have it, the context is in a royal setting where the king is being encouraged that God's got his back and God's going to help him in everything he does, especially in battle. Because if you notice the phrases here, though the arrow flies by the day, it won't touch you. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand. What are, these are war scenes. These are battle scenes. And they're saying, though all this is happening, it's not going to touch you, king. So I think it's, to, it's a word to encourage a king in a battle. Some scholars believe, well, we can't claim it to our lives necessarily because it's just not true. I heard one scholar say this. These things just don't happen in real life. So what do we do with it? Well, he said it's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm talking about Jesus and he will be the ultimate king. Well, okay, I'm cool with that. 
So if we look at it historically, it's in the royal courts encouraging a king in battle. At the end, it's talking about the coming of Jesus and the Messiah who will defeat all enemies. And so those are the bookends. But what do we do in between? What about all the living? What's it speak to you and I? So when I interpret Scripture, I go to the most conservative interpretation that I can possibly hold up to. It's just the way I do it. I'm not trying to disprove the Word of God or water it down. I want it to speak to me because I want to live it. Then I'm going to be accountable at what I preach. Lord, help me. So I want to preach it as conservatively as I can. So this is what I'm going to throw into your court here. I believe it's a psalm that we can claim over our lives. I believe it's speaking to us, and this is how we can interpret it, it's speaking to us in our battles. Do we face battles today? I don't know what planet you live on, but the one I live on, we have some fight going on. Definitely spiritual battles. And I don't know what planet you live on, but this planet has some pestilences and plagues that we need to turn to God about. Amen? And I know we lost some people to COVID and COVID hit us hard, but that doesn't diminish the power of His Word or the power of His promises. Because I don't think this psalm is, 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 I don't think it's saying this, King, you will never have a battle. No, it's written to a man of war. I don't think it's saying, no arrow shall ever fly your way. No, he's just saying there's a lot going to fly your way, but they're not going to get you. Or no disease is going to be ever around you. No, it's just saying God will protect you. And it's not saying no demonic forces will attack you. Nobody says, no, but I'm sending the angels. And the angels are going to be there. So what do we do? Do we just say, well, that's a a fine historical document. We'll place it over here and wait till the end till Jesus returns and he'll fulfill it all. No, I don't think we do that. I think we take it, we live it, we breathe it, we pray it into our lives. And it becomes a refuge. God becomes a refuge and a fortress. So that's where I want to preach from. Verse 2. He will be, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and... And he is my fortress. Come on, say that with me. I will say, of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Notice the first two verses. Now let me pick this apart and kind of parse it here. The first few verses have four different names of God. He says he's the most high, the El Elyon, the highest above all God. There's nothing higher than him. And then he says he's the Almighty, which is El Shaddai in Hebrew, which I think, you know, it's a mysterious meaning, but probably refers to God being a provider. And then he is the Lord, verse 2, Yahweh. He's the self-existent one who keeps and maintains covenant. Once he makes covenant with us, he never fails in it. And then finally, he is my God, the Elohim. And you think about my God. That's a powerful statement. When Ruth was... 
Naomi was trying to get Ruth to separate from her. She said, you go back to your family and let them take care of you. She said, no, your God shall be my God. When Thomas didn't believe, doubting Thomas that Jesus had raised from the dead, he walks through the walls and shows the disciples his nail prints in his hand and in his feet. And Thomas falls down on his feet and says, my Lord and my Miriam, Moses' sister, once the Israelites had walked through the Red Sea and the waters caved in and crashed on the Egyptian armies, killing them all, they got on the other side and Miriam, Moses' sister, took the tambourine and began to declare how powerful my God is. And it's, it's a thing. God, we can say these things about God in a theoretical uh, way, but you know what? God has to become our God. He's my God. He doesn't just perform miracles in the Bible. He performs miracles in my life. He isn't just the God of Paul and of David and of Samson and of Luke. No, He's my God also. And if He's my God, then I'm going to lay hold on these promises in Psalm 91 and believe that God will be a refuge and be a fortress in my life and He'll do just what He said. Come on. Somebody shout amen. Three things I see God doing in this passage. Number one, God shelters. God shelters. And I think, again, I think there's a condition here. Because often we claim promises in the Bible but don't meet the conditions of the promise. You know, like in, in the book of Philippians, it says, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in... And we often claim that, but we don't understand the context. When Paul was writing to the Philippians and said, When I was in trouble, you guys gave. And you guys sent a gift to me that was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. And my God shall supply all your need. Yeah, why? Because they were giving to the work of the ministry to the Apostle Paul. And God said, based upon, Paul was basically saying, Based upon that, God shall supply all your need. So what is the condition that we're faced with in Psalm 91? It's this. He who dwells in the secret place shall abide. So what's the condition? You've got to dwell in the secret place of the Lord. And what is the secret place? You know, this has always seemed mysterious to me. Is there, a, is, there a, is there some kind of extreme, like, outer space, supernatural, superphonic place I can get to? I think it's just, scholars believe it's referring to the temple, and the temple was a place of His presence. I think it's just referring to His presence. That when we get into His presence, and not only get into it, but we dwell there. We don't just visit and pass through, but we dwell there. So only the righteous are able to find this secret place. And maybe I could say only those who press in are able to dwell in it and stay in the secret place. Then he says, they'll abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So my shadow is casting this way on the stage because of the lights here. So if you wanted to dwell in my shadow, you would have to come up on the stage and kind of get within six feet of me or so and stay close to me. Then as I walked, you're going to have to walk with me and stay in my shadow. 
So if you want to stay in the shadow of the Lord, you got to get up near Him and push into Him and walk in His shadow. Come on, somebody say amen. Stay and dwell in it. Dwell, abide in it. Dwell in His secret place and abide in His shadow. Come on, say it. Dwell in His secret place. And abide in his shadow. It means get up close to him, lean into him, press in to Jesus. And it changes everything. It changes everything. I don't know, you know, just just in the past year of my life, I, I don't know if I'm correct in saying this, but I think I am. I think I've spent more time in prayer in the past year of my life than maybe I have at any point in my Christian walk. And it's no glory to Hans, it's just where I've been. And it's, I walk through some stuff, and I realize, God, I need a refuge. If I'm going to make it and survive with my mind intact and my faith intact, I'm going to have to push in to you. Even when I don't feel like it, even when I feel like sitting on the couch and drinking coffee, I'm going to push into you. I felt that way this week, you know. I built a place in my home just to pray in. And I thought, well, I need to go upstairs in the secret place, in the upper room. But I really feel like sitting on the couch and just chilling out. There's nothing wrong with sitting on the couch and chilling out. But I, so I said, well, I'll go ahead. I'll go upstairs and I just start to pray. And I start praying through Psalms. And I didn't have some out-of-body spiritual experience and I didn't see angels and I didn't see... Moses didn't appear, or Charlton Heston, either one, shouting at me. I just prayed, and I came back down and went about my day. But I'm telling you, those few moments shifted the day for me. They shifted the day. So even when you don't feel like it, God is still honoring the time you come and push into His presence. You're showing up. You know, one person said 90% of life is just showing up. And it's kind of like just showing up. I'm showing up and getting in your presence, getting in your shadow. And let me sit here under the shadow for a few minutes, and then I can go back to life and, and realize I'm walking under the covering. Well, somebody shout amen. amen. He shelters us. He is the shelter from the storm. He's the shelter from everything that's going on around us. He's the, he's the fortress. So last year I had a really amazing opportunity last October. There was a gentleman who used to attend our church, and he, he and his wife moved down uh, near Wilmington a while back. But anyhow, he invited me to go on the Appalachian Trail with him a few days. And so I spent three days on the Appalachian Trail with he and a friend, and they were going to hike like 30 miles, about you know, averaging about 10 miles a day. But he called me before we left, and he said, Pastor, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't want to come, it's not a problem because it's going to pour the rain on one day. How many of y'all been hiking? Okay. How many of you have been hiking in the pouring rain? Thank you. So we hiked the first day in, hiked up on a mountain, spent the night in tents on a mountain. That was fine. Feeling okay. Life is good. Next morning I get up, starts to sprinkle the rain. We put 30-pound packs on. We start hiking. It comes torrential downpours. And we hiked 10 to 12 miles. 
stopping to, at a stream to get water to purify it so we could drink, shivering, freezing. Even my friend told me later, he'd been hiking his entire life, and he said this was one of the worst days ever. <laughs> ever. And at the beginning of the day, we thought there's a shelter kind of 10, 12 miles in where we want to go to. And the other gentleman hiking with us said, no way. No way we're staying in that shelter. Someone was murdered. Two ladies were murdered in that shelter several years back. So it kind of had a stigma to it. And my other friend said, it's not a problem. Pastor's going to pray over the shelter once we get there. <laughs> it's going to be all right. So we hiked, and it poured the rain. And we hiked, and it poured the rain. And we hiked more, and it poured the rain more. Finally, we got to the shelter and went to the shelter, and I prayed over the shelter, and we stayed there that night. And we got there, and we were so cold and shivering, we had to strip down, get in our sleeping bags for maybe an hour just to get back to body temperature to where we could talk without chattering. And I woke up the next morning to a beautiful sky, and I said, thank you, Lord, for this spooky shelter. <laughs> Because God, it did its job. Can somebody shout amen? amen? And when I saw that shelter, it was a sight for sore eyes. That's what he's saying. It's the metaphor. God is that to us in life. He's that shelter. When you've had a 2020 come your way, when you've had a bad business deal, when you've had a relationship gone wrong, when you've had kids that you thought you raised to be sane human beings, but they're not acting that way. Or when your money runs out before the bills do. I don't know. You can, or when you got an addiction you're struggling with or some temptation. He, he is a shelter, church, you can run to. And get up under. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Second thing he does, he shelters, he saves. Verses 3 through 13 talk about all of these promises that come as an overflow of being in the shelter of God, in the refuge. Here's all these things that come. Let me just run through it. Number one, there's, there's some form of protection from disease. The term pestilence is used three times. So there's some, and I know, we know people who have died of, of everything, and there have been many people I've, died, I've prayed for who I've also preached their funeral. But nonetheless, I have to fall back on this word and say, God, you've promised a protection from pestilence and disease. And what do we do? Pray it, believe it, declare it over our lives, know that God does it, and stand in faith, not in sometimes our, our bad experiences. Because a bad experience can mess with your theology. And you can say, well, the Bible says that, but it didn't happen to me, so I don't believe that anymore. And that's what, you know, Satan tries to really come and work with your brain when you walk through a trial and tries to back you off from the things you know. But that's, what do you do? You just run to the shelter, tuck up next to Jesus, read his word and say, God, no matter what it looks like, I still know this book is true, and I still know the things you said in there, you still do today. 
You still heal the sick. You still cast out demons. You still do miracles. You still do all of that. Verses 3 through 13, he protects us from disease. Secondly of all, he protects us when we're in the midst of battles. The terror by night, arrows that fly, thousands are falling at our side. He protects us. And especially at night. Isn't that when you wrestle sometimes? Guys, you don't have to raise your hands in here. But how many of you have wrestled at night? You wake up in the middle of the night and you've worried about bills. And you're worried about a business deal going down bad. And you've worried about a family member that you don't know what's... These things sometimes come and try to haunt you in the night. He says, I'm going to protect you from that fear that comes at night. You know, Job talked about the night spirit. I've preached on this. That there was a spirit that appeared at night to one of his friends and started saying all these things about how bad man was and useless and a loser man was. I believe the night spirit was a demonic spirit. For another sermon. So God's going to protect us in battles and we'll see with our eyes what will happen to the wicked, but it won't happen to us. Why? Because, here's the condition again, verse 9. Because we've made the Lord, who is our refuge, our dwelling place. It's always out of that walking with Jesus, always out of that secret place that we minister from. I remember when my daughter Alex, who was up here leading today, when Alex a couple years ago went to India for a month. And in India, she stayed in prayer rooms for an entire month in two different cities in India. And they had a 36-hour prayer meeting, a 72-hour prayer meeting. and I mean, there were just marathons. And when she came back, I had her preach for us. Like, I think it was a Sunday night or Wednesday night. And it was one of the greatest things I have ever heard. And she's my daughter, but I'm telling you, it was just one of the great. She preached on the power of the secret place. The power of the secret place, getting in that secret place with God and then living out of the overflow of the secret place. You see, salvation is in the present tense. When we're saved, it happens at a moment in time and then there's a future manifestation when we'll go to heaven and or be resurrected or caught up when Jesus returns. So there's a, there's a time in space that it happened, and then there's a future fulfillment of it. But listen, people, God is still working His salvation stuff in us all along. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is moving in the here and now, bringing salvation to us, and it's not necessarily talking about forgiveness of sins, though that's huge. It's talking about healing and power over spirits and talking about miracles and talking about how God comes to our assistance and how God visits us with His presence. He's working this in Greek soteria. He's working this salvation in us every day, working that power in us. So salvation is a has been and will be, but it is also a present tense reality. This is what the prophet said, King, God's going to protect you when you walk into battle. You're going to see your enemies fall at your side, but it's not touching you. There's going to be pestilence and disease like God struck the Syrians with and killed, what, 185,000 or something like that? Yeah, there's going to be those kind of pestilences come, but it's not touching you. 
And you know what your power is? What your, your key is? Is you dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Is you coming into the times of worship in the temple. Is you spending the time alone with God. Is you digging into His law and into His Word and meditating on it day and night. And as you press in and push in and press in and push in and live in His presence, God's going to keep you in a secret place. And then he's going to give his angels to you. Y'all may think I'm crazy, but I'm going to tell I, I, I didn't do this at nine, but I felt to do it in this service. There, we're not to worship angels. We're not to pray to angels. But I know God sends angels to our aid. I was in Montana preaching several years ago. And it was the first night of a tent meeting I was preaching. And the meeting was okay, but I felt a real resistance and just like I was kind of preaching to a brick wall. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I didn't see anything with my physical eyes, but I knew an angel was standing by me. I just knew it. And I felt him speak to me. And I, this is, I know it's wild, but this is where I felt the angel say, I'm here at your assistance. And the Lord sent another angel because the calling and demand on the anointing in your life has increased. Come to find out, my prayer partners in this church, a group of men that pray for me every week, were texting me. They were praying for me. Number two, I walked into that meeting the next night at, with an open heaven. It was absolutely, it was phenomenal. Okay. Number two, years ago, I was preaching a revival in North Carolina, and I was at a meeting in Virginia getting ready to travel this way, and a good friend of mine sat in a car with me, and we talked for hours, and we could just feel the presence of the Lord. And then once he left, I drove by myself that night, to the place I was preaching. And again, I didn't see it in my physical eyes, but I know an angel sat down in the passenger seat and started giving me scripture references that I wrote down about how the anointing in my life was connected with worship and how miracles were going to happen out of that. A lot of this junk you see in Barnes and Noble, you know, find your angel and worship of angels. No, it's not good. But I'm telling you, God does give his angel armies. And if we believe demons, if we believe demons were, you know, angelic type beings before that were swept out of heaven, if we take that metaphorical picture where the, the uh, dragon sweeps out one third of the angels of heaven or the stars of heaven with him when he falls in Revelation, if you know the scripture, say amen. amen. So if that happens, and that's where demons come from, and I believe they are fallen angelic beings. But just think about it. And I think there's billions or zillions of demons. But if there are that many demons and they only make up one-third of the angelic number in heaven, then that means two-thirds were left at the command and service of God. I'm about to run out in the parking lot and run around right now. Come on, somebody shout amen. Wouldn't you like just for God to go, and behind curtain number two is all the angels I've sent to your help and to your aid 
and to your family. Wouldn't you like to see that sometime? It'd blow our minds, I know. Final thing. Not only does he shelter us as his refuge and he works salvation in us, but finally he just satisfies us. There's nothing that satisfies like Jesus. Now the Lord is speaking in verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. And I will set him on high because he knows my name. He shall call upon me. I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And guess what? With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So the term he will set his love upon me really is the term saddled. It's like God's taking the saddle of his love and placing it on you. He will lift up his voice and I'll lift up my voice and respond. He will be with me. And the term in the, in the Hebrew means in the narrows or in the straits. He says, I will be with him when it gets like that in the narrow places. And then I will deliver him. I will pull him out of it. And bring him out. And then as icing on the cake with the cherry on top. Is he says I will satisfy him. And the, the, the idea is of weariness. And it's like God comes and says I'm going to bring you out. He didn't say I'm going to prevent all problems from your life. Or I'm going to prevent every battle that you will ever face. No, he's saying when you're in the midst of it, when the arrows are flying, when the pestilences are going around, when the enemy comes at night, I'm going to send my angels and I'm going to come down and I'm going to load you down with my love and I'm going to pull you through and pull you out of the straits or the narrows that you're walking in. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. So what do we do with this? All I know is pray it, brothers. Believe it, sisters. Confess it. Put it on the wall. Put it on your phone. I know my God's going to protect me. No plague shall come nigh my dwelling. I know he's going to satisfy me with long life. And I'm going to believe God's going to come and do these things. And I'm going to serve him to the day I die. And I'm going to press into him every day that I can. I'm going to get closer and closer and dwell in that secret place and minister out of that secret place hallelujah knowing that even though I walk through some difficult places God's got my back hallelujah knowing that anything I encounter he will deliver me from knowing that he's all powerful he's the alpha the omega the beginning the end the first the last the rose of Sharon the lily of the valley the bright and morning star he's more than I can imagine he's got all power in heaven and earth he's given it to the sons of men and now he says I'm going to bless you and I'm going to satisfy you and I'm going to just show you my goodness come on somebody put your hands together and give the Lord a prayer I want to be in a secret place I want to be under the shadow of his wings oh hallelujah hallelujah Okay, we're going to pray right here. I'm going to pray for all the men here this morning. What, ha- what is a fowler? You know, the, the Bible says you'll protect us from the snare of the fowler. You know, a fowler, in my understanding, is a guy who works with birds, and birds go and hunt prey. Right? You've seen the guy come out with a big leather wristband? 
and he sends the birds off or the eagle off or whatever, and it goes out and searches for prey and comes back. It's a metaphor of the enemy coming to seek you and to seek to torment you. And God says, if you allow me, I'm going to protect you from the snare of the fowler. I believe it means a snare of temptation. I believe it means a demonic attacks. God said, I'm the one that will give you deliverance and power over this. Because birds can be wicked, man. I've got some at my house. I think they're demon-possessed. I don't know what they are. Y'all would know better than me. But I've got these birds that put, they put their nests in my bushes every year. And so I was out on the back deck the other day. And my poor old cat, he's about 15 years old. And he stumbles out there and lays down. And then the bird sees him and it comes. And it's all around him. And I'm like, back off my cat, idiot. And when Jackie was living, she put rat traps, sticky traps out. And was just hoping they would land on it and not be able to move. I mean, she, yeah, she didn't tell me these things because she knew I was too compassionate. I don't know why I told that. But God will protect us from the crazies that come after us. Can somebody shout amen? That's what that psalm's for. Use it, read it, pray it, believe it. Let's all stand in here this morning. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to live in an era where we can come to you on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now. Okay, pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin and I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. I hope to see you again.